You got it? You rolling? Right on. Welcome back to Indie Angela's Boyhood. I am Jesse Bob Harper. This is where I tell stories, have guests, reminisce, tell sometimes myths about having been born and raised in Indiana, but really feeling as if I grew up in Los Angeles. And what does that exactly mean? Uh, welcome back to the uh, second episode after our re-inauguration, our relaunch, after a extended hiatus um, due to inertia and laziness on my part, really. Um, and what does that mean, having been born and raised in Indiana and feeling like I grew up in Los Angeles? You know, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was, I think I was 18, uh, and I never truly truly felt comfortable in Indiana or my hometown and when moving to LA and it could be based on a lot of things just being young and moving and impressionable but I really do feel as most of what I know about life which isn't much was learned in Los Angeles on my own through life experience and one of the things that brought me most joy were my friends that I made while in Los Angeles. And as I've said before, and as some of them have been on the show previously, um, it was a place in where, where you could have your best friend is from Dublin, your other best friend is from Long Island, one's Jewish, one's Catholic, your other best friend is an atheist from Jacksonville, Florida. And many of us worked together, many of us lived together, and we had a lot of different experiences and uh, together and alone. One of the things that we did most often was simply go out and try to get laid. And that's not unusual for young men in their 20s and 30s or young women for that matter. And we spent uh, a lot of time um, thinking about ways in which to do that. Sometimes successful, sometimes not. And uh, I met uh, and ha- I met a lot of people and had a lot of great experiences uh, in doing that, uh, as shallow as that sounds. Um, but I think you learn a lot about yourself and uh, a lot about life and a lot about other people uh, when you seriously commit to trying to do that. Uh, and we did. Um, and we had a great time doing that. Um, and doing that in Los Angeles, uh, and doing it at, uh, as someone who grew up in Indiana, uh, was sometimes uh, shocking and strange, and other times it was exhilarating and fantastic. Uh, so that's what uh, today's story is about, is one of those experiences. When I was about 22, I got a job in the mailroom of an entertainment company, Saban Entertainment. Now, Saban Entertainment was the company that created the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And any responsibility I had, which would be minimal at best, of having helped that show be so successful, I apologize for. Now, this was before email or file sharing, and well before the magazines, the trades we called them, the Hollywood Reporter and the Daily Variety had all gone online. So my days were spent either delivering mail to executives' offices within the confines of Saban, 
making copies or delivering packages, scripts, dailies, contracts to other executives or actors at other companies or studios or even to their homes. Now, this being L.A., no one working in the mailroom actually wanted to be working in the mailroom. This was not a long-sought-after dream fulfilled for any of us. Well, we all, every one of us, had different aspirations, actor, writer, director, producer. Whatever vision or dream we had latched onto prior to making our way out to L.A., The reason we made our way to L.A. in the first place and the reason why we were working in the mailroom of some seemingly, at that time, fly-by-night entertainment company. Which is just a way to say that we didn't take these jobs, these positions, that serious. If there was a task that needed to be done and that task could be half-assed, that task was going to be half-assed. At that time, Saban really was a small operation, doing mostly third-rate cartoons. They had a couple of floors in a small building in Burbank. But then, then, Haim Saban, namesake of the entire mess, he developed what was called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And man, all hell broke loose. The company, I swear, must have grown at least 250% in a single year. There were new departments, development, merchandising, post-production, and all new executives. Eventually, rather quickly, Saban outgrew those couple of floors in Burbank. Eventually, the company announced a move. Saban Entertainment would be relocating to several top floors of a high-rise in Westwood, California. Naturally, since the mailroom was considered the blue-collar department of the company, we in the mailroom were going to be doing much of the legwork, getting Saban moved from Burbank to Westwood, which we did. We disassembled and boxed up up furniture, coordinated with the movers and what went where and to whom, shut the lights off on our way out. Now, what happened when Saban got to this new space in Westwood, and even though the company had grown exponentially, was that there were quite a few empty offices. These were positions that actually had not been filled, and most of them were in what's called operations. Operations is human resources, building management, and the mailroom. So all of us in the mailroom started to find ourselves getting offered promotions out of the mailroom into these jobs, jobs which actually came with an office. We had really fallen ass backwards into executive positions and none, none of the irony was lost on us. We thought it was hilarious. I myself, like literally just one day, I don't even remember how it happened. I had an office on the 23rd floor with a view of downtown LA to the east and the mountains to the north. New furniture, my own telephone line. I didn't have a college degree. I was in LA trying to be a performer, an actor. I never wanted a real job. I was just wanted something to pay the bills, and here I was with a business card. I apparently, as they told me, was in the purchasing department. In fact, I was the head of purchasing, copier and printer products for Saban Entertainment, both pre- and post-productions, printers, paper, ink, I did it all, baby. Basically, people just told me what they wanted or needed, and I ordered it. I still didn't understand why that's an actual job. I've come to realize that at least 50% of corporate America are just middlemen. Anyway, as part of my new position, I had to meet with salespeople, 
copier salesmen, ink distributors, paper manufacturers, they all came to my office and spoke to me as if I was a real person, as I, if I was a person who deserved an office, or as if I even knew what the hell I was doing. These people took my position so much more serious than I did. One of the salespeople was a woman from Cape, uh, Kodak. One of the salespeople was a woman from Kodak. Now, she was probably much younger than I am today, but she was definitely older than I was at the time. This was a woman that was married and had children. I mean, she had what I considered at that time a real life. She had a house, and she didn't live in L.A. Like, she was a real person. I don't remember her name or how many times she had been in my office. I do remember that on one particular occasion, somehow the conversation had gotten around to her family or her husband and where she was staying in town while on her sales calls and what, if anything, she does at night in L.A., I do remember, not even sure of the context, but something during our conversation, I made the point of telling her just how discreet of a man I was. And point of fact, at that time, I was not even really a man, and I sure as hell wasn't discreet. Even though I was young and seemingly immature, which I was, I had in fact been born with the gift of knowing when a situation called for gravitas. I wanted her to understand that I knew the need for discretion and that being discreet was something I made a point of making several times. At 22, I wasn't experienced enough to know exactly how a possible romantic interlude with a married woman would unfold, especially when arranged with coded innuendo. But I was sharp enough to know that we were certainly dancing around the planning of one. I don't know if I have ever had a conversation with so much subtext in my life. Whatever it was that was said about printers and ink and paper was not really what was being said. I don't know exactly what had been said, but I do know that at the end of our meeting, we had somehow, through unspoken agreement, planned on meeting at her hotel later that evening for a drink. Once the purchase orders had been agreed to and signed and our meeting had concluded, I walked her to the elevator. As soon as she entered the elevator and the doors closed, my hyperventilating began. I made my way back to my office to get a hold of myself and replay our conversation in my head over and over just to ensure that I had gotten everything right and to confirm with myself that I actually had arranged to meet a married woman for drinks in a few hours. This being a time before Google, I had nowhere to go to learn the protocol for such an event. So I did the only natural thing, to me at least, the only natural thing one could do in a situation like this, I called my older brother back in Indiana for advice. Now I come from a very close family. So close in fact that we will tell each other almost anything except our true opinions, those we keep to ourselves. Although we will tell everyone else our true opinions about your most current endeavor, decision, life-changing action, just not you even if you ask us to tell you our true opinions. For some reason, we keep those as far from each other as possible. I think my dad has given me advice exactly twice in my life. And even then, it wasn't presented as advice, but rather couched as an observation. Although my brother seemed very happy, proud, and excited for me, he was married by then, so I think he was living vicariously through me. He really couldn't tell if it was a good idea or not to meet a married woman for drinks. 
We talked for about five minutes. Most of the conversation centered around how hot I thought this woman was. Now, about two minutes after hanging up with my brother, my phone rang. I should have known who it was, but I was surprised to hear my old man on the other end of the line. With my dad, it has always been out of sight, out of mind. In the 22 years I lived in L.A., he probably called me five times. Now, it was obvious that my brother had hung up with me and immediately called my dad to tell him my intention and how bad of an idea that he thought it was. Why my brother couldn't have told me that himself, I don't know, but it's just the way my family operates, those true opinions. Now, growing up, my dad had been a city judge, a county prosecutor, and for most of his life, a criminal defense attorney. My dad didn't give me any advice. In fact, he didn't say much at all. He didn't say, your brother just called me and told me what you're planning. He didn't say, I don't think this is a good idea. The only thing my old man said was, you know, kid, any murder trial I have ever been involved with almost always has been because someone was sleeping with someone's spouse. The call lasted really all of three minutes. And three minutes is all it took. I did not show up for those drinks. And I left Saban not long after because I had booked as an actor my first national commercial, so I thought I was on my way to having my star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. Because of that call, I have never knowingly gotten into a situation of dating, fooling around with, or otherwise commiserating with a married woman. But that doesn't mean I don't regret not having those drinks. Well, I want to thank you all if you did listen to the podcast. And welcome back to Indie Angela's Boyhood. We are going to start by producing and putting up some shorter editions of the podcast helping us get back into the groove, into the rhythm. And as we move forward, I hope to extend each episode, make them a little bit longer, add guests. I hope you subscribe. I hope you liked what you heard. You can always send me an email if you want me to talk about anything that interests you that is of Indiana and or Los Angeles. Or if you just want me to talk about myself, I can do that as well. That's one of my favorite pastimes. So until next time, thanks again for returning for this re-inauguration of Indie Angeles Boyhood. I hope you will continue to listen, and as we move forward, I hope to be putting up a new podcast every week. So thank you so much, and until next time.